Bioneer's Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at OrganicValley.com. Welcome to the Bioneer's Revolution from the Heart of Nature. When the culture collapses, when the things that everybody believed in turn out to be hollow, what's left are the regular folk. And who the folk are, are the people of the earth, the people that kept close to the earth. They survived the collapses, and they continue to tell the stories. And so there's collections of all cultures of the stories of survival. I call them the recreation stories. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. We stand at the threshold of a historic opportunity in the human experiment to reimagine how to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. It's a revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we celebrate social and scientific innovators with breakthrough solutions for restoring people and planet, creating a future environment of hope. at the millennium, the United Nations invited the people of the world to share their views of what is wrong in the world. From across the globe, stories of woe poured in. The people at the UN realized they needed a way to organize the flash flood of tears. Behind this veil of tears, they found four categories. Culture ranged from loss of languages to uprooted refugees. Political spanned loss of freedom and abuses of power. Economic included poverty, joblessness, and the chasm between have-nots and the have-a-lots. Environment covered climate change, water shortages, and the litany of ecological harms. Then the UN group decided to keep on distilling the stories to pure essence, one word. Cultural problems boiled down to rootless. Political problems to powerless, economic problems to ruthless, and environmental problems to futureless. Finally, they crystallized these four bleak words into just one word that encompassed all the woes of the world. The word was meaningless. Michael Mead recalls that he got the unenviable job of speaking right after this report's presentation at a conference on sustainable technologies. Actually, the UN people apologized to me, and they said, we're sorry that we're handing you the stage when we just convinced everybody that the whole world was meaningless. (laughs) And I said, well, don't apologize. I'm a mythologist, and I happen to know the one essential thing, which is that myth makes meaning. Join us for Why the World Doesn't End, Recreation Myths of Nature and Culture with mythologist and storyteller Michael Mead. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. As human beings, we're hardwired for story and metaphor. We are meaning-making creatures. When the facts conflict with our story, usually we stick with our story. 
So from the viewpoint of a mythologist, a sense of meaningless means it's time for a different story. Michael Mead proposes we do that by rekindling our connection to ancient wisdom and universal truths. He reminds us that the word apocalypse, which to many means the end of the world, actually means an unveiling. Once we penetrate the veil, it's not the end, but the time of endings and beginnings. The world of appearances is the world of facts and information. And behind the world of appearances is what I call the world behind the world, what the Irish called the other world, what some people call the mythic world. My job as a mythologist is to tell everybody that the real thing we're looking for is behind the obvious world. As the veil thins, the apocalypsis veil thins, we get to see what's behind everything. Michael Mead is a renowned storyteller, author, and scholar of mythology, anthropology, and psychology. He founded the Mosaic Multicultural Foundation, a nonprofit community building organization based in Seattle, Washington, to celebrate the diversity of peoples and cultures. Mosaic conducts youth mentoring programs, workshops for veterans, and meaning making gatherings across North America. Mead shared some revealing recreation stories published in his book, The World Behind the World at a recent Bioneers conference. Mythology or myths, the ones I'm most interested in usually are called folk myths. They're rather simple myths. The folk are the ones that survive no matter what happens. When the culture collapses, when the things that everybody believed in turn out to be hollow, um, what's left are the regular folk. And who the folk are are the people of the earth, the people that kept close to the earth, the people that kept rhythm with the earth and rhythm with nature and rhythm with the elements. They survived the collapses and they continue to tell the stories. And so there's collections of all cultures of the stories of survival. I call them the recreation stories. Michael Mead tells a story from the White Mountain Apache people. Here's the story of the old woman and the black dog. So once upon a time, actually, I don't know how you get upon a time. We could say once below a time, or once next to a time, or even once when people had time, and it didn't seem like the whole thing was moving faster and faster towards a great end. Once back when time was still connected to tide and the oceans of the world, and time was a thing that rolled back and forth. Once back in that time, right here in this land that we call America, the people here knew that knowledge was available, and a lot of those ancient people knew that if you wanted to find the deep knowledge of the earth, all you had to do was go to the cave of knowledge. And they say that in that cave, there's an old woman And they say that that old woman is weaving a garment that is the most beautiful garment that anyone has ever seen in this world. And they say that that old woman has been weaving the garment for a very long time and that she has reached the fringe of the garment and she wants to make that hem very beautiful. And so she's weaving that of porcupine quills. And in order to get the quills to lie sideways and be flat, she has to take each quill and bite down upon it. And she has been biting down on quills for so long that her teeth have been worn down till there's nothing left but nubs rising above the gums. And still, 
She keeps weaving that garment. She keeps biting down on those quills and making that hem. And every once in a while, that old woman in the cave of knowledge has to get up and go to the back of the cave. And in the back of the cave, there's a fire that has been there longer than anything. That old woman doesn't know of anything that has been burning longer than that fire burning at the back of the cave. And hanging over the fire, there is a great cauldron. And in the cauldron, there's some water. And in that water that is simmering back there are all the seeds of the earth. All the seeds that become the fruits of the earth, that become the grains of the earth, that become the flowers and the plants and the trees and the vegetables of the earth. And they're all in that great stew at the back of the cave of knowledge. And if the old woman doesn't go back once in a while and stir that stew, then all of the seeds will burn up. And that could indeed cause the end of everything. And so the old woman has to get up, leave the weaving there and go back to the back of the cave and begin to stir the seeds. But because she's old, because she's been working so hard, she moves very slowly. And as the old woman is going to the back of the cave in order to stir the stew, the black dog, what black dog? The black dog that's also in the cave goes over to the weaving that the old woman has been working on and finding a loose thread begins to pull upon that thread and soon enough has unraveled the entire garment that the old woman has been spending all these thousands of years weaving. After a while, the old woman comes back from stirring the seeds of the world and sees her beautiful garment completely unraveled and laying in a chaotic mess of strings there on the floor and she stands still for a minute and contemplates the moment and contemplates the situation and then she sits down and she picks up a loose thread and she begins to weave that garment all over again and as she begins to weave a new design comes in to her imagination a beautiful design more beautiful than the one she had already been working on for so long and she catches the shape of that design and she begins to weave that design and she doesn't stop she just keeps going as she did before now many people say when they hear this story damn that black dog If it wasn't for the black dog, everything would be fine. The woman would finish the garment and it would be beautiful and perfect. And it would be a model for everybody how to live this life and how to put things together. But the old people say, don't be fooled by appearances. Be thankful to the black dog because that woman is the old woman of the world. And if she would ever finish weaving the garment that is both nature and culture, then... And perhaps only then, this world would come to an end. Be thankful to the black dog, the old people say. For the black dog takes things apart in order that they be woven back together in a more beautiful way. That's what the old people say when they talk about a story like this, when they live in a time like this. And me, I'm just trying to pass on some old stories and always asking everyone the question, if the old people, if the truly old people don't know, if they don't know, who does? Michael Mead tells stories that he gathers from many cultures. He's found the essential elements of this black dog story in myths from several continents. Stories typically have seven levels in them, and there's all kinds of depth hidden inside stories. What on the surface can be simple can be profound down below. 
what the story shows is the three great movements of the world. This is a woven thing. It's woven out of invisible, unseen things, as it turns out. This is a world that is in continuous creation. It's happening every day according to mythology. It's happening moment to moment. We are actually standing in the midst of the ongoing creation, but at the same time, the world undoes itself, and the black dog appears and takes it apart. Mead says that during these black dog times, myth can provide insight to what seems unfathomable and hopeless. Ancient indigenous stories often fearlessly and playfully contemplate cataclysmic times that seem like the end of the world. These stories naturally reorient us to the rhythm of death and rebirth and connect us with the eternal cycles of life, creation and destruction, and recreation. So there in this tiny story, you have the great imagination of all the myths of the world, the creation, the sustaining, and the undoing of things that are all part of this world. So that when things come apart, it is really the loosening for the next weaving. And I don't mean that in a Pollyanna way, because when it comes apart, people get hurt, people lose jobs, people fall, more people fall into poverty, people get killed in wars and so on. But that's what happens. Mythology is not about simply the life of the individual. It's about the individual's connection to the great stories that are the kind of pulse and the molecular structure of what used to be called the cosmos. So the story has those three functions in it. And it's offered at times when things are coming apart. Normally, you don't have to get into this stuff too much, but we are living through one of those times. I think it's necessary, and I like what people do when they're dealing with the environment, because in order to heal the environment, you have to get into the broken ground. You have to get into the destroyed forests. In times like this, everybody's supposed to become a healer. Michael Mead believes story can reconnect cultures and make them whole. But, he cautions, that healing can happen only when we are willing to really look at what's broken and listen to those who are in need. Mead's work often serves the most vulnerable. He facilitates a community forum called Voices of Youth. Young people write about their experiences of overwhelming violence, cynicism, and apathy in their lives, and then perform for an audience of their families, teachers, and elders. It's part theater, part literature, part celebration, and all transformation. I work with homeless people. I work with violent people. I work with people in jail, and I work with people coming back from war because they have a potential to become elders quickly because they've been to hell. They've been to hell. And I think what's happening partly in the Green Movement is the passionate feeling for the destruction of the earth. We're the children of the earth. We're the earthlings, the only ones, really, that have this capacity for language and semi-logical thought. And... (laughs) And the anguish felt about that is awakening, that darkness is awakening more vitality, I think, in people. And there's a genuine hope that can come from that. The 13th century poet and mystic Rumi wrote, The cure for pain is in the pain. Good and bad are mixed. If you don't have both, you don't belong with us. Michael Mead says changing the story requires us to see the shadow sides in our lives. And that can best happen when we connect to the world behind the world. When we return, stories that reconnect us with nature and our human nature. This is Why the World Doesn't End, recreation myths of nature and culture. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
You can download this and other programs on the radio pages at Bioneers.org. That black dog unraveling the world, say the ancient myths, is the way of the world. If the old woman were ever to finish weaving the garment of nature and culture, this world really would come to an end. So despite terrible suffering, be thankful. It's time for a new story. How then can any one person change the story and in turn change the world? If meaninglessness is at the heart of the world's problems, Michael Mead believes it's a matter of each of us seeking out the mythic meaning of our own life so that our unique gifts and purpose can play their part. Mead helps restore meaning by collecting and telling stories, like this one, from India. The story of Manu. This is another recreation story. Once, back at the beginning, when time was just breaking open the spell of eternity and causing distinct things to be in the world, once, back at that place, when everything was just beginning, and people, too, had to have their start in that initial arrangement of all the elements of this world, back at that time, the first person who some say was Manu. You can hear in the name of the first person the echo of humanity in Manu. Manu, it turns out, one day had trouble in his mind, for trouble has to come in somewhere as well, and some people say it came in very close to the beginning and has been with us all the way along. Manu was feeling troubled over something or other, And in considering this trouble and not being sure what to do, Manu went to the edge of the ocean, the place where the great fluid body of origins rolls up against the solid body of the earth, the place of back and forth, the place between one thing and another. And Manu was going along the edge of the sea when suddenly from the great ocean there leapt a little fish And since it was the beginning and animals and people hadn't become so separated, the fish spoke to Manu and said, Could you help me? Would you please save me here? In this great ocean of the world, the big fish eat the little fish, and I'm about to be devoured by some big fish, and I would prefer not to go that way. And Manu, the first human, just like every human since then, had to make a decision whether to lend a helping hand or whether to not do it at all. And for reasons that are not explained, Manu, the first human, in this story anyway, of the world, bent down and caught that little fish and pulled it out of the ocean and began to carry it. And the fish said to him, because of this kindness, because of reaching out to help me, one day I will help you when you are in trouble. And then the fish became silent and Manu carried the fish back to his place of residence and he got some kind of a container or a bowl and he put water in it and he put the fish in and he began to care for that fish and he fed it a little bit 
And as soon as he fed that fish, the fish began to grow. And when it grew, it grew very rapidly. And soon it grew too big for the bowl. And so he had to put it into a larger tank, but it kept growing and it grew too big for the tank and he had to take it and put it in a pond, but it was still growing. It outgrew the pond. He had to put it in a lake. It outgrew the lake. Pretty soon, Manu had no choice but to pick up the fish, which now had become huge and carry it all the way back to the ocean where he first found it. And Manu noticed that no matter how big that fish got, somehow he could carry it. And it felt light in his hands. And so Manu carried the huge fish back to the great ocean. And he placed it back in the ocean. And once the fish got into the water, it turned around and it said, Listen, I have some advice for you. Trouble is coming here. Everything's going to rattle. And everything's going to become caught in a huge flood for a torrent is rain of rain is coming and rain will fall all over the earth and the waters will rise and everything will be covered with water I'm telling you that this is something that is a coming and my advice is this build a ship and after you build a ship watch for when the water reaches its height and I will come back again and so Manu being at the very beginning of human efforts in this world, knowing that when some other species speaks to you, it's probably giving you good information, Manu began to build a ship. After a time, the rain did come, and it was heavy, and it came in torrents, and it flooded the earth, and the, and the waters of the earth rose in all directions, and pretty soon everything was being covered, and the storm was unabated. And Manu entered the ship, and his friends went with him, and some animals as well. And while they were entering the ship, the big fish came back and threw a rope to the ship and then turned and began to pull that huge ship with Manu and his relatives and friends and some animals across the great roiling ocean. And it pulled the ship all the way to the top of Mount Maru, which was the highest point on the earth and eventually the only point that wasn't submerged in water. And the fish tied that ship to the highest point of the sacred mountain at the center of the earth. And then the fish turned and began to speak. And this time, out of that little fish that had become that huge fish, there came the god Vishnu. Vishnu the great creator of the whole world, the one who laying on the oceans of time dreamed up this world that blossomed from his belly button like a lotus becoming all the petals of all the things of the world. Inside the little fish asking for help had been Vishnu, the god of creation itself. And Vishnu came out and said, Manu, because you listened well, because you cared for other species, because you tried this impossible thing, I wish to commend you and I wish to tell you that the waters will abate and life will come back and the earth will reveal itself again. And if you listen to the instructions I will give you, you will learn the arts and the practices that will allow you and all the people after you to continue the creation of this world with this ever ongoing, sometimes through storms and sometimes through delightful moments. And so Vishnu, the God of creation, gave the arts and the practices, the spiritual practices, to Manu. And Manu began the practice of them right there on the top of Mount Maru, the highest mountain in the world, the image from which all cathedrals and all temples and all mosques are made. Manu 
did the arts and practices there and then passed those things down. And people say those arts and those practices are still available. Not only that, that sometimes they float across the ocean and the practices of the Eastern world come to the West. And sometimes the practices of the traditional people of the West have to go East. Me, I don't know. I'm just telling these stories in order to keep my own ship afloat in these times that seem troubled by greater and greater storms. So there's lots of levels, lots of points. I just want to make a couple. Notice the connection, by the way, between the mythic world and the natural world. The natural world is a green garment wrapped around the spirits that are the essentials of the mythic world. All the old traditions knew that when you walked into nature, you were walking into the other world. It's really only in modern times that nature got separated from culture. Humans, each human has what's called a second nature or an inner nature. When we're in touch with our inner nature, as Manu was, we are the companions and co-creators of great nature. Do you get what I'm saying? The division is a false division enforced by years of cultural confusion. And I don't mean that it's simple, but I mean that everybody has nature in their inner nature, and we are natural beings. We are like stretched between the world of animals and plants and the worlds of angels. That's always been the job of humans, to be partly tied to the eternal and partly tied to their locality and the local limits. So we have two responsibilities. One is to contribute to the healing and altering of the world and and finding its way back towards balance. But not only do we have to do that, we have to do it by becoming our unique selves. And maybe here's the last point. If a person becomes who they are intended to be, they are automatically contributing to the benefit of other people and the world. Michael Mead, storyteller and mythologist, encouraging us to listen to nature and our own inner nature, to pick up that loose thread from the ends of time and begin to weave new stories of healing. Why the World Doesn't End, Recreation Myths of Nature and Culture. Downloads of this program and many other Bioneers radio shows are available at the radio pages at Bioneers.org or by calling one 877 That's one 246 6337 Visit Bioneers.org where you can learn how to attend the annual October Bioneers National Conference and local beaming Bioneers conferences. Purchase the radio series, conference CDs and DVDs, and Bioneers books. Join the thriving online Bioneers community and become a Bioneers member or make a donation. All at Bioneers.org or by calling one 877 The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings provided by Reference Media Group. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ricoh Disc label. 
Additional music was made available by Sounds True at SoundsTrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0310. Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.